Good morning, Memorial Heights Baptist Church. It's Pastor DJ. Tomorrow is Ascension Thursday. It's the day that we celebrate the Ascension of Jesus Christ. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that in the days leading up to his ascension, Jesus was teaching his disciple the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so that's what we've been focusing on. And the last few weeks, we've been looking specifically at Matthew 13 and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 13 in just a minute. But for right now, let me just remind you that this Sunday, we are going to be worshiping together here in our sanctuary. Uh, The governor has uh, opened up uh, the worship uh, of uh, churches at 50% capacity. And so we're asking you to please sign up. Uh, You can do so here on Facebook. Um, If you're having problems with signing up, you can call the office and and, uh, Stacey will help walk you through that. But uh, we're asking that you please sign up here on Facebook. We do still have, I think, 14 slots open for Sunday morning. There's plenty of of slots open for Sunday night. Um, But that's going to help us to make sure that we can have the safety protocols in place to get people uh, seated uh, so that we're still practicing the social distancing that uh, the governor is uh, asking us to do and so that we can uh, do our best to try to keep everybody safe uh, while we worship together. And so we'll still be live streaming, but I want to make sure that you realize that we're going to move our live stream to 1030. We've been live streaming at 11. We're going to go back to 1030, which is when we normally have our morning uh, Sunday morning worship services. And then we're also going to be live streaming on Sunday nights at seven o'clock. And so uh, if you can't join us for the live stream, those videos will still be up here on Facebook. You can catch those at a later time. Uh, But we encourage you that if you can't be with us on Sunday, I know that many of our Members are still concerned uh, with uh, safety, and so they're, they're going to stay home for a while. And we certainly understand that, uh, and that's one of the reasons that we're continuing to live stream. And so you'll still be able to be part of our worship service with us on uh, Sunday, uh, both morning 1030 and Sunday night at 7. And then next Wednesday, we'll actually, we won't be live streaming this. Uh, but we will have our uh, Wednesday night prayer meetings as well. And you won't need to uh, sign up online for that. It looks like we're just going to need going forward to do sign-ups for Sunday mornings. So uh, we'll continue to do that for the foreseeable future. Uh, But for now, if if you have any other questions, I have a letter that's posted on Facebook here that I sent out to our church. If you did not get that letter, that means either you're not on our mailing list or we have incorrect address information. So uh, if you didn't get a letter and you want a letter, uh, call us here at the office so that we can either add you to our mailing list or we can uh, update your contact info so we make sure that going forward you get our letters. But with that said, let's get back to the scriptures and back to Matthew chapter 13. George Bernard Shaw once said that the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I have a friend that likes to quote that or a variation of that. Let me read that to you again. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Now, there's two sides to that problem. There's the problem with the communicator who thinks that he has communicated, and so he stops speaking. Uh, That's not going to be a problem for us today, not because I'm the communicator, but because Jesus is the communicator, and we're going to look at some things that Jesus was teaching. So the problem is not with Jesus, uh, but uh, the other side of that is the problem of the listener, The, the listener who stops listening because they assume they know what the speaker is going to say. 
or, or they assume that they understand what the speaker is saying. And we're going to find that that was a major problem in the first century, and it continues to be a problem in the church today. Now, I, I don't know about you uh, other husbands, but uh, I know that uh, sometimes that I, uh, I'm hearing my wife talking and I assume I know what she's going to say. And so sometimes, uh, on occasion, I may perhaps uh, get a little distracted and uh, I think I know what she's saying and, and I'm not listening close enough. And uh, that's always a bad decision. But that's not just a husband problem, that's a human problem. Uh, we all have a tendency to assume that we know uh, what is being said and we stop listening. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus repeatedly said, let he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, I created your ears, I want you to use them. Don't, don't assume that you know what I mean. Don't assume you know what I'm going to tell you. Stop and make sure that you're listening to what I'm saying to you. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, including once here in Matthew 13, Jesus says that. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Uh, seven times in Revelation 2 and 3, in speaking to the seven churches, Jesus says, let he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. So this is a problem that we as human beings have. This is a problem even as, as the church that we have, that we think we know what the Bible is going to tell us, and so we stop listening. And that is why the Jews, even though they had the scriptures, they had the prophecies, that is why most of them missed their Messiah in the first century when he came. They assumed that they knew what those prophecies meant. And they took the good prophecies, the positive ones, and they took those to be very literal. And then the ones that talked about the suffering Messiah, they took those to be allegories. They took those to be symbolic. They didn't take those literally. And we today have uh, kind of the same problem, but but the opposite. We have many Christians who they take the prophecies regarding um, uh, the nation of Israel that are negative, and they take those literally. But the ones that are positive, they say, well, those are just symbolic. They apply to the church. They don't apply to the nation of Israel. And it's, it's a similar mistake that the people made in the first century. It caused them to uh, many of them to miss their Messiah. And so we want to understand what Jesus is saying. We want to stop and listen to Jesus as he's speaking. Now remember, when we talk about parables, we're, we're talking about things that were given to us both to reveal and conceal. Jesus says that in Matthew 13, that to you, the disciples, it's given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it's not given because uh, they've hardened their hearts, they've closed their eyes, and so I'm going to now speak to them in a way that they're not going to be able to hear, not going to be able to understand. But Jesus wants us as his disciples to understand and to hear him. And so he tells us, let, it, let us listen, let us make sure that we're not assuming we know what he means, but that we're taking the time to listen. Now, we're going to look at these uh, following parables, and there are uh, six of them that we haven't looked at yet. And we're going to see if we can get through all six of them today. Now, if you've been watching for the last few weeks, you may, may think that might be too big of a goal since we've spent one week on the first parable and another week on the second parable. But we also spent a lot of times during those two weeks laying the foundation for how to interpret parables and, and understanding what a parable is, understanding what the kingdom is. And those two parables are, are the two big ones, and they give, us the, they give us the means to understand how to interpret the rest of the parables, the rest of the kingdom parables specifically, here in Matthew chapter 13. And so, um, remember when we talk about uh, the kingdom, we're talking about the king and his dome, the king and his domain, the king exercising 
dominion. And so when we uh, look at a kingdom parable, those are the two things that we're going to look at. We're going to detect, decode, and then we're going to double check. We're going to detect those two things. Where's the king in this parable? He, he may not be in the parable, but we're, that's the first thing we're going to look for. Not for ourselves, but where is the king? If this is a kingdom parable, where is the king? And uh, he's not in every parable, but he's in most of them. Uh, the second thing is, what is this saying about the kingdom? What is this saying about the domain of the king during the kingdom age? And uh, we're going to detect, then we're going to decode. We're going to say, what do these metaphors represent? What do these symbols mean? Uh, sometimes, as we've seen in the last two parables, Jesus interprets some of the symbols or most of the symbols, the most of the metaphors for us. Uh, there's one parable that uh, hopefully we'll get time to look at here today that also does that, where Jesus says, here's what this means, here's what that means. We have many other places in the Bible where metaphors or symbols are interpreted for us, and the Bible becomes its own code book. All right? Uh, we want to make sure we're always looking at what the Bible says about how to interpret a symbol or parable. Sometimes that's not an easy task because a, a symbol can have more than one meaning. Uh, but we have to start there at, at the very least. Uh, some of you might like to do uh, codes, maybe at the you know in the newspaper or at the end of a magazine. Sometimes you'll they'll have a, a, a code that you you have to try to break down. Maybe when you were a kid, you collected cereal box tops and you sent away for uh, a decoder ring. Well, the Bible gives us the interpretation. It gives us the way to understand the symbols that it uses. And sometimes those are found right in the exact passage you're looking at, and yet sometimes people still miss them. We talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares last week. And Jesus very clearly in that parable says the field, that in this parable, the field symbolizes the world. And yet many people will still read that, and they will say, well, the field represents the church. Now, the, Jesus tells us the field represents the world, and yet many people, and I've made that mistake in the past, said, well, this must be about us, this must be about the church, but Jesus specifically says, so we're not listening, let's make sure that we listen, let's, not, let's make sure we're not assuming that we know what Jesus means to tell us, because he's going to teach us some things about the kingdom that had not been revealed yet, or that were not clearly understood yet. Uh, they, the, the Jews had a, a lot about the kingdom in the prophecies, but they didn't know how to put them all together. They were still mysteries. And so Jesus is going to unlock these mysteries for us, but we have to listen. We have to use the ears he's given us to listen. So we're going to detect, uh, where's Jesus? Is he in this parable? What does this parable say about the kingdom? We're going to decode. We're going to look at the metaphors and see if the Bible gives us the, the interpretation of that. And then we're going to double check and we're going to say, okay, does this... Does this interpretation fit with the rest of Scripture? Uh, are, we, uh, are, are we coming up with some kind of new random thing that isn't taught anywhere else? Or is this consistent with what the New Testament is going to continue to reveal to us? And so that's going to be a, an important step as well. We won't do as much of that today. We won't have as much time to do that today. But uh, So we've talked about the uh, parable of the sower. That's the introduction parable. There are eight parables in Matthew 13. The first one's the introduction. And then there's a conclusion parable. It's very short. And then there are six kingdom parables, six times where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And the first three of those six are given to the multitude. The last three of those six are given to the disciples. And we're going to see in just a minute that the first three of those six, they all have essentially the same message. They all carry exactly, uh, essentially the same meaning. 
um, and, and so they all go together as one message. So the, uh, the, the introduction parable, the sower, the central idea of that, uh, uh, as we saw, was that as we preach the word of the kingdom, uh, some will reject the message and some will receive the message. There are three ways that people reject the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel. How you enter the kingdom is that you must be born again. So you must acknowledge your sin. You must recognize that Jesus died for your sins. You must, uh, John 3, 16, uh, understand that God loved the, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so everlasting life is only attainable. The, the uh, uh, ability to enter the kingdom is only attainable to those who have recognized their sin, their need for a Savior. They trusted in Jesus Christ. Christ and his death for their sin and his resurrection, uh, and, and they have uh, received by God's grace through faith, they have received uh, the gift of eternal life and they've been born again. That's the message. Some people will reject that immediately. Some people will appear to, to accept that. They'll have an emotional response to that message, but ultimately they will be shown to have rejected that message uh, when they've really stopped to think about it and really stopped to understand it. And then some people will, uh, they'll understand it, they'll contemplate it, they'll wrestle with it, but ultimately, uh, just as the thorns choke out the, the root, uh, that th- there's going to be a choking in, inside, and, and lust and deceitfulness and riches of this world are going to choke out uh, the reception of the gospel, so they're not going to bear fruit. Uh, and then those who do receive the gospel, some are going to be... Uh, uh, max fruitfulness. They're going to show max fruitfulness in their life. Some are going to show uh, uh, a very small amount of fruit. In fact, sometimes we're even going to wonder from a human perspective, we're going to look at their life and say, is there any fruit? There's going to be a little bit. Uh, they, are, they are truly saved. They're just not very productive. And then I, I think, uh, unfortunately, most Christians are going to fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, we, we should want to be as productive for the Lord Jesus Christ as we can, bring him as much glory as we can in this life. Uh, most of us are going to land uh, somewhere in the middle. But So that's the parable of the sower. That's the introduction. Then uh, last week we looked at the parable of the wheat and tares. The essential meaning of that parable is that there will be hidden enemies in the world during the kingdom and that their uh, presence will not ultimately be revealed until the very end when there's one last rebellion against the Messiah King Jesus, and that uh, rebellion will be very quickly squashed, and you can read about that in more detail in Revelation chapter 20, which is where we double-check that that, is, uh, that that interpretation does fit with, with other scripture, the rest of scripture, and we see it, it fits exactly with what God reveals to us in Revelation chapter 20, and uh, he talks also there about the final judgment. You can read more about that, Revelation 20, also in Daniel chapter 7. So let's talk then about the next two. And as I said, these next two, given also to the multitude, uh, reveal and carry essentially the same message. So we have the the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven. I'm just going to go ahead and read those two since they carry the same uh, essential message. We're going to read those two at the same time. So Matthew chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. Uh, now, it's, Jesus is not saying literally the, the, the smallest seed in the world, but he's saying the smallest seed that, that uh, somebody who was planting seeds in that time, in that culture, was going to use. Okay, So he's not, he's not saying this is the smallest seed in the world. He's just saying this is the smallest seed that is commonly used uh, at this time. Uh, is like a grain mustard seed. It's the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. And then this seed is going, when it grows, it's going to transform. It's not just going to become a bush. It's going to actually change. It's become a tree uh, 
so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Verse 33, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things Jesus spake unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Isn't it cool? I mean, we all like to be in on a secret, right? We all like to kind of know things that other people don't know. Isn't it, isn't it cool that God has revealed to us things that for thousands of years had been kept hidden? Uh, but we get to understand the interpretation. But we have to listen. We have to, we have to not assume we know what Jesus means. We have to really listen to what Jesus is saying. So, let's talk about these two parables. What, what are we talking about here when we talk about the mustard seed. What do these symbols consistently mean? Well, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to detect, we're going to look for where is Jesus in the parable. So uh, the man who sowed uh, would represent the king of the kingdom, Jesus, the son of man. The field, we've, we've already seen in, in this set of parables, in this very context, in this very passage, the field represents the world, same as in the parable of the wheat and tares. And so if we're looking for the kingdom, the kingdom then must be the mustard seed. The mustard seed will begin small. Uh, when we uh, read in the Bible about the, the entrance into the kingdom at the end of the tribulation period, most of humanity during the tribulation, uh, particularly the second half, which the Bible calls the great tribulation, the final three and a half years before the second coming, great tribulation, uh, vast majority of the human population is going to be, is going to be wiped out. And of those who remain, many of them are going to be defiantly resistant uh, to the coming of the Son of Man. And so when Revelation 19, Jesus comes back, he is going to destroy the forces of the Antichrist. Uh, he's going to crush the Antichrist. Uh, blood is going to flow like a flood through the city. There's going to be so many people who are killed because of their defiance of, of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so those who enter actually enter into the kingdom are going to be very few. The kingdom is going to start out with just a handful of people. Just like after the flood of Noah, there was just Noah's family. There was just a handful of people that were left. And yet uh, we find that uh, the, the human race was populated relatively quickly. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be even uh, much more quickly repopulated during the millennium because uh, we're going to have a complete reverse of the curse, as we've talked about. And so you're not going to have the same kind of sickness. You're not going to have war anymore. Uh, the earth is going to be healed so that there's not going to be a problem with uh, uh, growing things and uh, things are going to grow incredibly quickly. In fact, one of the prophecies says that, that the harvesters uh, are going to have a hard time keeping up. Uh, people are going to be planting and things are going to grow so fast that, that they can't even get it harvested fast enough to, to, to replant things. And so the, the human race is going to repopulate incredibly, incredibly quickly during the kingdom age. But what, what's going to happen? Well, at the end, we see the birds are going to inhabit the branches. Now, birds in Scripture, in, in prophecy and in parables, uh, represent spirit beings or spiritual beings in, in some of the poetry and some of the metaphors. Uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Uh, a spiritual person. But most often it refers to spirit beings themselves and almost always refers to uh, or symbolizes demonic 
spirits, almost always. And that's what the birds symbolize in Matthew chapter 13. Remember in the parable of the sower, the birds were the servants of Satan who steal the message of the word that lands on the wayside, on the hardened soil of the road and uh, doesn't get into the heart. And so birds are consistently in the scriptures, uh, symbolic of spirit beings specifically evil spirits. Now, again, sometimes they can uh, represent uh, um, spiritual people. Sometimes the, uh, the the bird is used to represent the Holy Spirit uh, who descended as a dove. Uh, but generally speaking, the picture of birds, especially when they're in the plural, are used to symbolize demonic spirits. We see that um, way back in Genesis 15, we see vultures interrupting um, the covenant that God is making with Abraham. And Abraham has to shoo the vultures away uh, during this uh, covenant that God is making with Abraham. Uh, we see it in Revelation 40 in the baker's dream. Uh, remember, Joseph was imprisoned and uh, the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker uh, of Pharaoh were sent to prison and both of them have dreams and Joseph interprets their dreams. And the dream of the uh, baker uh, had birds in it and those birds were a bad omen. But more immediately, we see here in this very text, Matthew 13, birds are symbolic of evil spirits. So what's the ultimate message? The ultimate message is that the kingdom will will begin small and it will grow. However, in the end, it will be invaded by wickedness. This is exactly the meaning of the previous parable. And this is exactly what Revelation 20 tells us is going to happen. So uh, it fits it that we double check and it fits with the previous parable and it fits with Revelation chapter 20. So that means that the, the kingdom is going to start great, but it's ultimately going to end in rebellion. Uh, same thing with the next parable, the parable of the leaven. We see a woman hides leaven uh, or yeast uh, in flour and when the flour is heated, the leaven spreads through the bread until the entire loaf is leavened. Now, again, what do these symbols most likely mean? Well, we don't see a man in this parable, so we don't see Jesus in the parable. Some have tried to say the woman is Jesus. Um, women in the scripture, again, are not. Generally speaking, when we talk about prophecy, we're talking about either uh, the woman being symbolic of either true worship or false worship. Uh, either the uh, the true worship, which can be symbolized as uh, the church, uh, the church being the bride of Christ, uh, Revelation 19, the the, uh, the the wife of the of the King of Kings uh, is symbolic of us of the church uh, returning with him to earth. So the church will already be with him at the second coming. We're we're not he's not coming back for us in the second coming. We'll already be with him. And that means he's got to come for us before that, sometime before that. But also throughout the Bible, women are often used to symbolize the adulterous worship of the nation of Israel. And so we have this woman. He's not a man. It's a woman. And what is this woman doing? She's hiding something. So there's a deception that is involved. This is not Jesus. This is a false uh, religion or a false form of worship that is being hidden. And leaven in the scripture always represents, in every other passage it's clear, always represents sin, always represents evil. Now, some people have come to this passage, and they've tried to make leaven represent something good, and they've said, well, every other, pla- every other place it's bad, but here it must be good, because they think this is about 
the church or about how the church is going to grow and God's going to make something great. And because they already think they understand what Jesus is saying, they're not listening. Jesus is using the picture of leaven. Leaven is found 13 times in the New Testament in every other passage, including a retelling, Luke chapter 13, verse 21, which is essentially a retelling of this exact same parable. Um, If we look at all of the other 11 passages where this word is used, uh, leaven represents sin, uh, represents evil. Uh, In Luke 12, um, Jesus says the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 7, 8, uh, Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven is not a good thing. And so where is the kingdom then? Well, the kingdom is the meal. The kingdom is the flour. And so again, just as with the previous two parables, Jesus is saying uh, that there's something that's going to be hidden in the kingdom that is going to grow, and it's not a good thing. So that the, at the very end of the kingdom, and we read this again, Revelation chapter 20, you can check that out yourself. At the very end of time, uh, the kingdom, there's going to be a great rebellion in the kingdom. Uh, this echoes the same warning of the previous two parables, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So those are the three parables that are given to the multitudes. They all carry essentially the same thing. And the message for us, as I said last week, is that the problem is not society. The problem is not people's socioeconomic condition. The problem is not culture. The problem is sin. The problem that we have in our culture is not the culture itself. It is the sin of the individual which causes the problems that we have in our culture. The problem is sin. And so even when humanity is placed in utopia, even when humanity is given the perfect leader, even when humanity is given perfect laws, even when humanity is given a perfect environment where there is no more war, war and there is no more sickness and there is no more food, there are no more food shortages, there is no more famine, even then people will be sinners. And people, because of their sin, they ultimately will rebel. And that is the central message of these first three kingdom parables. Now, let's talk quickly about the next three parables. The hidden treasure and the pearl uh, parables for the disciples. Uh, We're going to cover them together because they essentially are the same parable told in a different way. And we're going to apply the same principles that we've been applying to the previous parables as we look at these. Okay, so verse 44, uh, Jesus, in the meantime, he's met with his disciples. He's interpreted the parable of the wheat and tares. We've talked about that last week. So let's skip over that and let's go right to verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy, therefore, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, the treasure is hidden in a field. A man finds the treasure. He rehides it. He sells all he has to joyfully buy the field. Second parable, uh, a merchant, he's searching for a pearl of great price. He finds it. He leaves He sells everything he has. He comes back to purchase this pearl of great value. Now, what do these symbols most likely mean? Well, we're detecting, first of all, we're looking for Jesus. Is Jesus in these parables? They're kingdom parables. So where's the king? And I would suggest to you that the man in both of these parables is Jesus. These parables are not about how we get saved because these are kingdom parables. They're not written to the church for the church today. Okay, These are about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, these are. This is why Jesus came. He came to establish his kingdom on earth. But to do that, he first had to die and, do, and deal with the sin problem. And he had to make a way for us to be 
uh, citizens of the kingdom. And so Jesus is the man, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus, for, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, uh, despising its shame, and uh, he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I would submit to you that Jesus is the one who paid the ultimate price. Jesus is the one who, who came searching for uh, us and for the kingdom, and he is the one who paid the ultimate price. And of course, he victoriously rose from the dead after paying for our sins on the cross. He, he rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Uh, and so he can offer us forgiveness of sins. He can offer us eternal life. We don't have to trust him. We have to admit our sin. We have to trust in him for forgiveness. We have to ask him to save us. We have to call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10 says, to be saved. And so when we make that decision to trust in Christ, to place our faith in Christ, we receive his grace we are born again. We are made citizens of the kingdom. Okay? So, the man I would suggest to you is Jesus himself, is the king. The field we know is the world. Uh, we've, th- we've seen that throughout these parables. We want, we want to interpret these metaphors as consistently as we can with the code that the Bible themselves has, itself has given to us. So, the field is the world. Uh, I would suggest to you that both the hidden treasure... And the pearl of great price represent the same thing, the kingdom of God. Uh, and uh, in both parables, notice the man makes two appearances. He, he arrives, and then he leaves, and then he comes back. And who is it that has two advents? The Messiah. Jesus, who came in his first advent uh, to discover the kingdom, and then he paid the ultimate price, the ultimate of ultimate prices, the Son of God, the sinless, perfect sacrifice of God, Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood for your sin and for my sin. And then he comes back to establish and to get that treasure and to purchase that pearl. And so when when we see Jesus in the second coming, and if you're in Christ, you're going to be right there with him, riding on a white horse with him. Uh, as, as he rides down on, on the white horse, then we're going to be with him and we're going to see him purchase that kingdom, uh, that he's already paid the price, and now he's coming to get it. So both of, these, uh, both of these parables picture the two advents of the Messiah. The kingdom will be hidden, though. We're in the postponement of the kingdom. That's what this parable is showing. Jesus, Jesus finds it, but it's hidden. Uh, so uh, the pearl has been hidden, or the, um, excuse me, the, the treasure has been hidden in the field, and the pearl, the price has been purchased for the pearl, but the pearl is still with that, um, with that other merchant. Jesus is coming back to get it. And so uh, we talked about the promise of the kingdom, the preaching of the kingdom. Then we live in today the postponement of the kingdom. But ultimately, there's going to be the presentation of the kingdom and the permanence of the kingdom of God. And that is what these two parables, both of them, are presenting. Then we have the last of the kingdom parables, uh, which is the parable of the dragnet. Now, like the first two parables, Jesus is going to give us the meaning of most of the symbols. So we don't have to guess. We don't have to, to flip through the pages of Scripture to find out what these symbols mean. Jesus is going to tell us. But let's listen to this parable as well. The parable of the dragnet, verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they should... Uh, drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. 
Now, remember, when Jesus is teaching this parable to the disciples, that some of these disciples are fishermen, okay? And all of them would have been very familiar with this picture of this description of events, because whether they were fishermen or not, they lived in a culture where this was a common thing. And you can still go today to the Sea of Galilee and see the fishermen uh, casting their nets and and doing uh, what Jesus is describing here. So they gathered the good into vessels, cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. So Jesus gives the description. The dragnet is the end of the age. The fishermen are the angels. And what are they going to do at the very end of the millennial kingdom? After there is this final rebellion, the angels will separate the wicked from among the just and uh, cast the wicked into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth. That will lead us um, there at at the end of the kingdom. We'll have the great white throne judgments. The angels are going to cast those uh, who are uh, wicked into the furnace, uh, the lake of fire, uh, as uh, Revelation calls it. And uh, this parable bookends the parables with the parable of the wheat and tares. So in both the parable of the wheat and tares and the parable of the dragnet, you have this judgment warning that at the end of time, there is going to be a final judgment. And so uh, the church will be judged previous to that. But at the end of the kingdom, there will be that final great white throne judgment. And uh, it's a warning uh, that and for the disciples, it's it's a, a motivation to warn others because we don't want to see anyone uh, uh, stand there. Now we know that the majority of people will reject the message. We we see that in the parable of the sower. We know that there are many types of soil, and that the uh, that the people will reject the message. Some will appear to receive it, but they will ultimately reject it. So we know that not everyone is going to receive the message, but we should be driven and motivated to present the message. It's what God has left us here to do, to get the message of the kingdom out. Uh, because someday people are going to stand before their creator. All of us, every single one of us will stand before our creator. No one gets away with anything. All right, That should reassure you as you see all the craziness going on in our world today. And you see people seeming to get away with things. No one gets away with anything in the eyes of God. All of us will give an account. And so uh, we see this bookend of the judgment of the wheat and tares and the judgment of the dragnet, both warning about the final judgment. So the final parable, parable number seven, the parable of the householder, Jesus says, you guys understand this? And they say, oh, yeah, we understand. Well, they didn't completely understand, but they, they were starting to understand. And then Jesus gives one last parable to summarize everything. He says, uh, verse 52, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So Jesus is saying that we now have kingdom treasures. Some of these kingdom treasures are old. They were in the Old Testament. They were already revealed. But now having the mysteries of the kingdom unlocked for us, now we have new treasures as well. We have new information. And when we see all of these kingdom parables together as a unit, we have old treasures revealed in the Old Testament. We also have new treasures revealed here in the Gospels and uh, confirmed in the writing of the New Testament. So we want to add New Testament revelation to Old Testament prophecy. Both of these are treasures. The Old Testament is a treasure for the church. The New Testament is a treasure for the church. And these parables shed new light on old prophecies. I hope this has been helpful to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God 
and uh, hope to see you on Sunday. If not here, if you're not able to worship with us in person uh, on Sunday morning or Sunday night, we see here uh, on our Facebook page and you're able to check out the live stream. Uh, God bless you and we're praying for you guys and we're excited to worship together in our sanctuary.